I'm Chad Livingood, Senior Editor at Cranes Detroit Business, and you're listening to the Cranes Conversations Podcast. This week in our monthly Cranes Forum section focused on public policy issues affecting business and the economy, I took a fresh look at the hugely complicated issue of integrating behavioral and physical health within the Medicaid system for Michigan's most vulnerable adults. It's a $3 billion slice of Michigan's $20 billion Medicaid pie. My guests for, the, for today's podcast uh, are Kevin Fisher. He's the executive director of the Michigan chapter of the National Alliance of, on Mental Illness, NAMI, and Emily Kalaszewski, who is the vice president of the NAMI Michigan board and a mental health advocate. Uh, she is the member program's lead at the Michigan Municipal League and penned a guest column for Cranes about her own family's experience with accessing mental health care in Michigan and what can be done to improve it. Kevin Fisher and Emily Kalaszewski, thanks for joining me here today. Thank you for having us. Yes. Um, Emily, I want to start, you wrote a guest column for Cranes um, talking about uh, this issue of mental health crises, crises uh, in a more very personal experience that you had with a sibling who couldn't get a bed uh, in a uh, um, in a hospital. Uh, tell me a little. Tell us a little bit about that experience and how eye-opening that was to our system of of, uh, of mental health care in Michigan. Sure. Well. First of all, thanks to Cranes uh, for giving a platform to mental health and providing an arena for me to talk about a very personal experience with my family. We know what it's like to spend days sleeping on a room in the emergency room uh, on the floor, waiting for critical life-saving psychiatric care for a loved one undergoing a mental health crisis. Um, for those who are unfamiliar with that type of situation, we had nowhere else to go um, when one of my siblings was experiencing one of these. And the emergency room is typically the first stop for many folks who are in a similar situation. The problem is emergency rooms do not um, have the, they aren't equipped to deal with behavioral health issues. Um, and what happens is, uh, as, in, as is the case with my sibling, um, individuals will spend days waiting in the emergency room in limbo, hoping that a bed opens up in an inpatient psychiatric care facility. In the case uh, for my sibling, who's an adolescent, we couldn't find a bed. And that meant we went home a few days later after spending a lot of time in the emergency room without any care. And in my article, one of the things I talk about is that it's hard to imagine our medical system treating any other emergent case quite the same. A heart attack would be treated with a swift, comprehensive medical response. Diabetes, asthma, really any other physical ailment would be treated immediately. And mental health is not quite treated the same because there's not capacity to do so. Emergency rooms aren't equipped to deal with behavioral health patients. Um, and there are a whole host of other issues with the mental health system as it stands in Michigan. Um, Kevin, why is this that we have um, uh, you know, a vast network of hospitals in the state and they're not equipped to handle uh, a mental health crisis the way that they can handle uh, a heart attack? You know, frankly, it's because they, they haven't found a way to make a profit on it. And that's the shame of it. 
Um, and I think my friend Tom Watkins alluded to that um, in his writings last week. Um, and I've seen it firsthand. I've actually talked to a hospital administrator that um, was eliminating psychiatric beds from a new hospital that they were building and specifically said, we're doing this because we cannot make a profit at this. Um, and that's quite frankly, shameful and should not be allowed, not only in the state of Michigan, but in the United States as a whole. Um, but th that's those bed capacities are set by um, a commission at the state level um, and and hospitals move beds around a lot. Uh, what what type of solution is there out there that we could, that we could think about um, um, a, a different approach than people going to the ER um, but having some place they can go at any time of the day um, when they're having these type of crises, which happen, they're not, they're not something that just planned, plans around a, you know, banker's hours. Well, and, and it's a great question, Chad. You know, actually, there are communities that have crisis centers um, that you can take someone to who's, who's experienced a psychiatric um, emergency rather than taking them to the ER or rather than calling the police. In Wayne County, uh, Higuera Care operates COPE. Um, there are a number of crisis centers across the state. The problem is they're not available in every community um, and they are only designed to hold people for short stays, 23 hours or less. Um, and unfortunately, in the state of Michigan, we have what, uh, less than 3,000 adult psychiatric beds and about and less than 300 adolescent psychiatric beds. So once that person arrives at a crisis center, and they're evaluated, and it's determined that that person needs longer uh, state care, the problem is, as Emily described, is finding a bed for them. And mm -hmm. if you are in a rural area or up north, it is impossible to find a bed. And so I think there has to be a shared responsibility in the, both the public and private sector to make sure that we have enough psychiatric resources available as Emily described. You wouldn't turn me away if I showed up in a cardiac emergency. Um, you wouldn't turn me away if I had been in an auto accident but you will turn me away if it's determined that I'm experiencing a psychiatric crisis and it's not profitable for me to, to service you at the time. I wanna to say too that the average number of calls an individual has to make um, to get an inpatient psychiatric bed in Michigan is 19. And that places a large burden both on the individual if they're the ones trying to seek um, help for a loved one or the hospital system who is working to find a placement in one of these facilities. And Kevin spoke about the issues related to folks who live in rural communities. That's the case with my family. Um, in times when we have found placement at inpatient psychiatric care facilities, because this wasn't a one-time thing, this wasn't the only mental health crisis we've experienced as a family, we've driven anywhere from four to five hours to, to take uh, my sibling to receive care. Well, you, you um, kind of, uh, this, this hits home a little bit in, uh, in that I had, a, uh, I had a cardiac emergency on vacation and went to a hospital in Manistee. Of course, they don't have a cardiologist at the hospital in Manistee. And that night there was too, too many people who had had heart attacks at, the, uh, in, at uh, Munson uh, Medical Center in Traverse City. So um, 
I was faced with an option of being shipped five hours to Gross Point Beaumont, my hospital, or um, go to Spectrum, uh, and which is two and a half hours away still. And they took me by, you know, like no, you know, there's no questions asked when they did with those situations. Um, but, but you're saying, I mean, do they, if someone's having a, 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 a mental health crisis, do they, do they give that person that same option? Do they, do they put them in an ambulance and take them two and a half hours away? Um, it's spotty Chad, quite honestly. There, as, as Emily mentioned, uh, it takes on average 19 calls to find, locate a psychiatric bed. So one of the questions we've discussed here in Michigan over the last three or four years is, should there be a registry available for all hospitals to let them know where, if someone arrives at an emergency room and they're in psychiatric crisis, where that hospital could call immediately and determine where's the closest available psychiatric bed. Unanimously, everybody agrees that should exist. The problem is who would be responsible for it. And quite frankly, as I recall, uh, my best recollection, this conversation a couple of years ago, the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services said, we don't wanna be responsible for it. So if not them, who? Um, and, and that would ease, somewhat the burden because unfortunately, and we've seen a number of cases across the country where there was a psychiatric bed available. It was just unknown. Uh, it was unknown that it was only an hour away or two hours away because there was no consolidated registry that or centralized registry where someone could call and say, hey, I'm in Wayne County, Michigan, we need a, an adult bed or an adolescent bed, who's the closest available and get that person to that available bed. We, so it's a, it's a process of not enough available. And then the other issue is not knowing what's available. Lack of coordination. Yeah, do, exactly. I mean, do we have other coordinated resources for, I mean, if you need a cardio bed or you need a cardiologist, like I was in a situation of, don't, don't we know, don't, don't hospitals know where, who to call, um, where to go? I would hope so. I don't actually know the answer to that. So that one's really tough for me. Um, I know that it is more common that given that example, um, when a person is in cardiac crisis, it's handled much differently. I, um, I for example, and you just mentioned the experience you had, uh, I was hosting a NAMI walks event out here in Canton a few years ago, and I was actually dehydrated, but didn't know it. And I almost passed out. The assumption was that I might have been experiencing a cardiac emergency. And when they took me into the urgent care center, I jumped to the front of the line of everything and everybody. Um, and I really appreciated that care because when, when, in general, when you go into a hospital and if they think you're experiencing a cardiac crisis, they move very quickly uh, to identify that issue. That doesn't always happen when a person is experiencing a psychological uh, or psychiatric emergency. And that's what we have to change. We have to have that available. And sort of take a, a back of the line approach. Um, Kevin, what are some, uh, you know, in my Cranes Forum, uh, package this week, we, we had a lot of different discussion between the op-eds and, and the article about 
the overall system. Um, and this effort to try to privatize the uh, severe uh, behavioral health and substance abuse uh, parts of, of Medicaid uh, fizzled out uh, at the state level. Uh, but there are some attempts to try to make, make some changes uh, in Wayne County is, is actively uh, uh, trying to, Wayne County Health Network is actively trying to find a way to have a, a behavioral health integration. Um, where, where, do you, where do you see this going or where could this go in, in a way that doesn't blow the whole thing up? So I think universally, everyone agrees that integrated care is where we should go or where we should be, quite frankly. Um, you cannot separate the mind from the rest of your body. And we, we all agree that there is an improved quality of life. Uh, there is likely significant savings along the road uh, to integrated healthcare. But my psychiatric care team should also know what's going on with the rest of my physical health care team because those things have to work together. So I'd like to see us get there. The question has always been how, and the, and the great divide in Michigan is public or private. Um, we advocates and most people who receive services, which who we really need to listen to, agree that we prefer to maintain a public behavioral health system, especially since it's Medicaid funded, um, publicly funded system should be managed in the public domain. That doesn't mean that there's not an opportunity to learn from and work with the private providers because there are some things that they do well, especially in the area of uh, cost savings and efficiencies. But we cannot move to a system where profits become more important than people. And that's the great concern. And I've, I've been involved in this conversation that started back in 2015, uh, the, the 298 section of the budget where uh, former Governor Schneider proposed privatization. Um, we still very strongly believe that privatizing or giving majority control of the behavioral health system to the private health plans is not in the best interest of the people we serve. Integration has to begin at the care level, not at the financing level. Um, if we do that, there's an opportunity to really, again, improve the quality of life, save lives, and save money along the way. But if we do it from the top down, if we do it from finance or people talk about integrated financing model, when you start talking about caring from people, when financing is at the top line, you're not really taking care of the people. You're taking care of the profit, and that's a problem. Yeah, Emily, in your in your column for us, you you wrote that uh, fixing the access and capacity issues alone is a mistake. Step away from the band aids. I thought that was a was a good line. Um, what what are what are the band aids you think that are just everyone wants to kind of rush to uh, to to you to you know slap on? Well, I think. Many of us um, in, in looking at what, what should be done to the mental health care system, of course, we'll note access and capacity as some of the larger issues to tackle, um, just right at face value. But we should also be addressing the model of care that folks receive if they need it so that they're given 
um, not just a crisis, they're not placed in just a crisis-driven model, but they're placed in recovery-oriented care. Uh, so in my article, I talk about a model of care that does that. It's called coordinated specialty care. Um, it's typically used for folks who have their first episode of psychosis, but can be used in a number of other situations as well that um, pairs together the individual and decision-making with their care team, uh, with education, peer support, career support if necessary, medication management. It's a holistic approach that doesn't just focus on after the fact um, and slapping a Band-Aid on some symptoms and sending that individual on their way. This has better outcomes for the individual, for our economy, um, for families. There, there are so many benefits, but we aren't quite there yet to have these programs across the state of Michigan. So of course, more fiscal support. And I think what I find notable right now in the state of Michigan, because we've, we've sort of gone through this pandemic together and there's a heightened emphasis on mental health, is that we might be in a place where uh, everyone has aligned just enough to actually take some action on these issues that we've been waiting to get action on for years. And my hope is that when we do take action on these issues, we're not just addressing the access and capacity and sort of trying to right the wrongs of the past, but to really envision a future where people get the care that they need for the best outcomes. Kevin, just kind of closing thoughts about just what Emily's talking about, how, you know, if there's not a better opportunity to fix mental health now than when really? Well, it, it needs to be now. Everybody ask me that question. They say, when, when is it mental health's time? It has to be now. It should have been yesterday. Um, Emily makes great points um, and, and forgive me for being historic, but this goes back to um, the Community Mental Health Act of 1963, the last piece of major legislation John F. Kennedy signed before uh, his assassination. And that commission determined the move from institutionalization to what we now call community mental health services because it was determined that people would recover better in their community. They would have a, a greater feeling of self-worth. They would have a greater opportunity, as Emily mentioned, to participate in the community. We call that self-determination and person-centered planning now. A person should be able to say, not only do I want to receive the medication and the therapy that my diagnosis requires, but you know what? I wanna be a meaningful member of society. I wanna to go to school, I wanna have a family, I wanna have a career, I wanna pay taxes. I don't wanna be viewed as a burden or a consumer on the community. I wanna participate. And we have the capacity to do that. We have that right now. And there are a number of things, as, as Emily mentioned, we have to back upstream um, before the issue of capacity at the hospital level. We have to intervene, as Emily talks about first episode psychosis at the onset, um, because studies have shown that when we intervene early, the opportunities for recovery are tremendously increased, but also we can save money. And this is the piece I want to keep going back to, Chad, because I need legislators to understand this. We will save money if we help people before they hit crisis, before they end up in the emergency room, before they end up in an institution. If we provide them the social supports that they need early enough, combined with the therapeutic uh, supports that they need, we can save 
money, we can save lives, we can improve the quality of life. And that should be the goal. Legislators like to hear that you can save money. They're definitely, uh, they definitely get their, that gets their ears uh, rise. Uh, so, well, um, uh, Emily uh, Kalashewski and uh, Kevin Fisher, thank you so much today for joining me here on the podcast. Thank you for having us. Yes, thank you.